Thank you for coming back. We are, I'll just kind of recap a little bit of where we were yesterday. Um, we talked about the fact that God has created us with bodies, that our bodies are good. Uh, we talked about sex being part of creation and that it's also good. And male and female bodies are good. We talked about how they're united in marriage and that they're the same and that they're different and that they're male and female. We talked about God making sex with boundaries, that it's supposed to live within the context of marriage, and that's what creates flourishing. We talked about it being a covenant good, and our sexuality is in the context of God's original design and purposes for creation. So we looked at the creation story yesterday and just said, it's good. Like, it's God's created thing. He created desire. He created sex and sexuality, and it's good, and it's his thing. Um, Today, we're going to look at the fall and kind of what happened when the fall happened and how that changes the way that we view sexuality. Um, so this, again, is our theme passage for the week. I'm going to actually look it up in my Bible because I think it's a little bit easier for me to read from here. Um, so again, we're at 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 20. Um, so I'm going to read that now. Uh, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So today we're going to kind of talk about this. Paul keeps kind of saying like this sexual immorality. Um, Sorry, I'm going to set that down here. Uh, so he's talking about this like idea of sexual morality, and so we can see that things have gone wrong from where we were yesterday. It was like created; it's a created good, and it like sex was created by God and it was for good. But we can't not acknowledge sin, right? Even yesterday, I bet like even when I was teaching, and I'm wondering if when you were hearing it, you're like, but what about this? What about sin? Like we do live in the effects of a fallen world, and so sin takes God's good creation and it twists it twists it into something that's distorted and broken. We can't ignore the effect of sin in the world and in our lives. Um, So this one flesh union that we talked about yesterday, one of commitment, mutuality, partnership, and delight is God's good creative intention for sex, but we can't ignore the effects of sin in the world. And so we're going to kind of talk through that a little bit. So what happened in the fall and how did we get here? That's a great question that I asked myself. Um, so we're going to look at Genesis 1, 3, 1 through 7. We're going back to Genesis, classic. And we're going to kind of look about what happened in the fall. Where did things go wrong? So if you'll turn in your Bibles or your phones, or you can look up here to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we kind of already see like Adam and Eve in this situation. Eve is with this serpent. The serpent's starting to tell her this lie. Right? We, we all are pretty familiar with this story. But the serpent's like, hey, are you, did God say that you're really going to die? So she eats this fruit, whatever it was. Uh, apple, probably, as we all like imagine it. Um, she eats this fruit, and the eyes of both of them are open. They realize that they're naked, and they sew fig leaves together, and they hide. And so we see that the effects of sin are felt in human sexuality, in human relationships, and human bodies. Like, they feel in their relationship with each other, they feel in their relationship with God, and their sexuality is broken. Life under sin is one in which Adam and Eve can no longer be naked and unashamed. Under sin, like, we all feel shame about our bodies. Like, this is the first thing that's introduced, like, shame about our bodies. And Adam and Eve, like, they make fig leaves. They're, like, covering even their genitals and their body. Like, that is a sign that shame is connected to sex. And sin leads to hiding. So I think I just said all that. So sin has entered in the world, and we already see it kind of happening. Like, things are shifting from yesterday, from the good creative intention to what's happening now. Let's keep reading. In Genesis 8, or 3, 8 through 13. Um, so then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put me here here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we kind of see this, like, hiding. They've made these, like, they've sewed some sort of, clothing with fig leaves together. We've all like probably seen that in like our children's Bibles, right? Like they're like hiding under behind these fig leaves. Um, and sin like leads to hiding. It disrupts our relationships with each other and our relationships with God. And they like have known, they hear God walking in the cool of the garden. They have this perfect, united, intimate relationship with God and now they're hiding from him and because they're naked and ashamed. And I love this because it makes me think of like when you're a little kid and you're playing hide and seek. Like, if you ever remember that, like, you like when you're, especially like if you're playing with your siblings or maybe your parents or something and you're playing hide and seek, you want to be found, right? Like, that's the point of the game. Like, you're hiding, but you want them to find you. Like, it would be a terrible game if you just hide and nobody finds you, right? Like, that's like zero fun. But, like, I think about this, and I think of this kind of like God is playing this hide-and-seek game as this loving father. They are hiding from him, but God is like, I'm going to find you. Like, I'm going to come, and I'm going to find you. And so they're, like, you already see this disruption in their relationship with God, and he is this loving God who's, like, even coming after him. Like, hey, where are you? Like, I'm going to come find you. Um, and we see at the end here, like, who takes responsibility for this? He's like, hey, Adam, what happened? He's like, well, this woman that you gave me, like, she gave me the fruit. It's like, so there's a bold move for Adam. Like, he is not only blaming the woman, his wife, like, which is kind of a bold move, and he is now blaming God. He's like, this woman that you gave me, 
she gave me the fruit. And so he's like taking no responsibility. He's like, I don't know, I just like, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. And then Eve is like, well, the serpent, he gave it to me. And so sin is a place where like nobody takes responsibility for their actions. Like that's, neither one confesses and neither one takes responsibility for having broken faith with God. And so we already see this happening, like all these effects of sin, just in chapter three of the Bible. Um, so yeah, sin disrupts our relationships with each other and with God, and God seeks them out, and he's not letting them stay hidden. Um, this is from the Chalmers Center. Some of you may be familiar with the book, like When Helping Hurts, or now Helping Without Hurting. But the guy um, that works at the Chalmers Center, he goes to our church, and so we just know a lot of their stuff, and I really like it. And this is like a little um, picture that they often use when they talk about the fall. But Really, like, what happened in the fall is our relationship with God broke, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and all of creation. And so even in this image, you can just see, like, everything is broken. Um, The same guy, his little girl, she's, like, nine, and he asked, he was like, hey, Libby, like, what happened at the fall? And she just said, everything broke. Like, and I think that's really helpful and simple. Like, when we think about the fall, like, everything just broke. And it's broken, and we all feel that. Um, and that includes our sexuality. Like, what happened at the fall is that everything broke. Our desires are broken. Our work, the way that we do marriage and sex, um, and the way we live together as male and female. It's kind of like they use this like analogy of like a bike. And so if one spoke on the wheel breaks, which is this relationship with God and us, then all the other spokes break and it turns inward. And that's what we do. We were made to be outward and other-centered, and we've now turned inward, in on ourselves. And that's what happened in the fall. Um, so we're going to keep reading in Genesis. This last little part we're going to look at, Genesis 3, 16 through 19, and kind of see how God responds. Um, to the woman, he said, so right above this, he's talking to the serpent, right? And there's this promise of Jesus. like He's like, curse are you, but like I'm going to bring somebody. And so we've already seen this, like, little hint and glimmer of redemption. And then he starts talking to the woman in verse 16, and he says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. That stinks. Um, (laughs) With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So we already see this, like, your desires are now twisted. Something's happened there. And to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded to you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we see this, like, whoa, some, like, really heavy consequences that they're going to feel from their sin. Yesterday we saw that God gave them this good, like, intention of dominion and fruitfulness to take, like, to rule over the earth and to subdue it, to fill it with little image bearers. And now both of those are going to be so much harder. (laughs) And, like, there's no way that the sin is just going to be part of that. Um, So we already see all the ways that sin has kind of seeped in and broken their relationships. So I think that this is helpful because I think we have to start with, like, wait, how did everything go wrong? Like, where did we end? Like, what's happening? And we can already see some of this breaking in relationships. So when we fast forward to the New Testament, when we fast forward to the passage that we are looking at in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul talking about sexual immorality, and he's like, flee from sexual immorality. 
and like he's talking about this idea that your body is not your own but it's the Lord's like what is he talking about what is he talking about fleeing from well, it started here it started in Genesis 3 and we have felt the effects of it ever since um, so what is broken like what is he talking about when he says to free from flee from sexual immorality um, this word sexual immorality it's the Greek word is pornea. I'm like, I don't really ever do this whole Greek word thing, but I think it is like actually helpful. So the word is pornea. It's a Greek word. It's translated from sexual immorality or to fornication. And so it's used 55 times in the New Testament, which I think is pretty significant. It must mean like that beckons our attention. Like what is, what does that mean? Um, and it's any kind of sex that violates God's reality. It's sex that is contrary to God's good intentions. This includes rape, sexual violence, masturbation, pornography, idolatry, the ways that all of our hearts have been kind of diseased, any kind of sex that's outside of the original design that God created in this covenant good. And so today, the main point will be that sex is not a consumer good, it's a covenant good. And so we're going to move, like we're going to remember what we learned yesterday, that it's a covenant good, it's created in this like intimacy, and now it's been put on the market. And it's for other, it's for us instead of for others. Um, and Paul tells us to reject it. He tells us to flee from it. And so there's got to be something here that he's calling us to. Um, pornea is sex that is bought and sold, and it's a consumer good. It's when we take sex, something that's for others, like even our, even when we looked at sexuality and the definition yesterday. We looked at all these different parts of it, and it's for others. Like, God made us for other people. And instead, it's for our spouse, for the world, for God. And we turn it into something that's selfish and that cares only about us. We turn it into something that's for us. And because of the fall, we need tools to, like, help us decide, like, and discern when sex tells the truth about God, when it leads to flourishing, and when sex denies the reality of God and it's harmful to others. And so, again, like, I do want to really emphasize like I said yesterday, I don't know your stories, and we're about to enter into some, like, really heavy and hard things. And so I, I hope that this is a start of a conversation. I hope it's not an end. And so I really hope, like, I hope these, these are, you know, some of my girls, and I hope they would talk to me or talk to an adult they trust or their parents, and I hope the same for you girls, that this would start a conversation as we kind of enter into this. So just know that, like, this feels funny to me that it's not a one-on-one conversation. Um, so today I'm kind of trying to put two nails that you can kind of hang this on when we think about the fall. And so today we're going to look at the hookup culture. And I think a lot of this is going to fall under this umbrella of the hookup culture that we see. I don't know that y'all like know the term the hookup culture. I'm not sure. But I know like when we start getting into it, it'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's kind of a term that a lot of people are using for, especially on college campuses, this like casual sex, like I can do whatever I want with my body, like that's pretty much the premise of it. I put a definition that I found online, which I was like, it made sense to me, but it's some form of sexual intimacy that's brief, it's purely physical in nature, and it involves both parties shutting down any communication or connection that might lead to emotional attachment. And I want to encourage you to kind of think like, basically this takes the relationship out of sex. Like, it takes the relationship out and it says, like, sex is just for me and for my pleasure. And I don't have to think about this relationship. Instead of a covenant where it's in a relationship, a lifelong relationship, if that makes sense. So we'll kind of keep unpacking that. 
Um, so I like was looking up some things that maybe you could kind of relate to. This like we have we have movies called like No Strings Attached. There's actually a movie called Hookah, but like it was kind of it was too much. So I didn't put it up there. I was like I'm like towing the line here and I didn't want to go too far. But so this no strings attached. Like there's a whole movie about basically we can just have casual sex with no strings attached and like that's the premise. And like we'll see how that shakes out. Usually terribly, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um I thought the term ghosting do y'all use that term? Yeah. Kind of? Okay, you're aware of it. Um, I'm like single and in my 20s, a lot of my friends are dating and often I'll be like, whoa, that person just ghosted me. Like, and that's a term that I think we use, but it's so like, it's to, I look this up, it's like to abruptly cut off all contact with someone such as a former romantic partner by no longer accepting or responding to phone calls or instant messages. I had a good friend who like is a believer, who's dating a believer and he just stopped contacting her. Like, that's it. Never heard from her again. They didn't even formally break up, but he just totally ghosted her. Well, that's very much for me. That's a selfish thing for me and not for the good of another person, right? Um, I was asking my girls if they knew what this is, and they don't, so whatever, but it's in culture. Um, it's a situationship, and I was, like, looking up some things just kind of about our culture, but it's a non-exclusive romantic arrangement that may or may not proceed to a committed partnership. So that sounds really muddy. <laughs> I'm just like, what is that? Um, but it's basically like, hey, I want all these benefits of being in a relationship. I don't really want a relationship. I don't want the commitment. I don't want to be part of that. And so it's, again, it's a consumer good. Think about like when you go to the store and you buy something, it's for you. You're the consumer and what can I buy? Like, that's what we're saying. Like, this is now on the market. It's not something that was, like, God created, which was good, and for other people, and now it's on the market. Um, is that supposed to be, like, friends with benefits kind of thing? I think so. I think it's a new term for, like, friends yeah. with benefits. So just kind of think of that. This has actually been really helpful for me as I've started prepping this. I feel like I've got a new lens, and I'm seeing, like, even when I watch, like, New Girl or things like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how our whole culture views sex. It's, like, it's for us. It's casual. Um, I love friends, and me and my friend here uh, bonded over that. Um, I do. I really do love friends. It's like right up my alley for a sense of humor. Like I just, I do love it. Maybe too much. It's hard to say. Um, but there's so Monica on the right. She's dating this guy Richard. He is significantly older than her. So if you know the plot line, um, and so. Richard doesn't want to have kids again. He's older, and so he just doesn't really want to engage with that. And so they decide to break up because she's like, well, I do want to have kids. And so they decide to break up, but they don't really want to break up. Well, they get back together, and they have sex, like, one time, and they're like, whoa, we don't want to stop this. Like, we don't want to keep stop. So Richard says this line. He's like, yeah, we can just be friends who have casual sex. It'll be like racquetball, something we do. Like, and so that's what he says. Like, it's just like it's something that we'll do. But that's how we view it. It's just like, hey, it's just something that we'll do with our bodies. It doesn't really matter. And remember when we talked about Gnosticism yesterday, yesterday and that idea that, like, our bodies don't matter? Like, this is part of that. Like, this, that, this idea that's like, well, our bodies don't really matter that much anyway. I can do whatever I want with them. Um, okay, I have to get a sip of something. Sorry, one second. Have any of y'all seen this movie, 500 Days of Summer? 
Okay, it is like actually kind of painful to watch. Maybe it's yeah, it's sad. Like you, so you. Here's the premise. It's Jess from New Girl, so additional. Um, how many times have I referenced New Girl? Um, so it's 500 Days of Summer. So there's a girl summer, and the guy is like head over heels there. He works in like a a Hallmark greeting like office, and so he works. They find each other. He like really likes her. He's like all in. And so it's like 500 days of him dating her, like is basically what happens. But so they like start going on dates. They really like each other. And she's like, hey, I'm not looking for anything serious. And he's like, yeah, that's cool with me. It's fine. No big deal. But like his feelings are growing. Like he really like is looking for something serious. And so he's like kind of wondering, like everyone's like, hey, is she your girlfriend? Like what's going on here? He's like, I don't really know. Like they haven't had like the DTR to find the relationship, whatever. I don't know if y'all use that anymore. Anyway, moving on. Um, so they have this like DTR and he, he's like, hey, we don't have to define it. Like I'm fine with that. I just need to know that you're not going to wake up tomorrow and feel totally differently about me. And she says, I can't give you that. Nobody can. And that's part of it like we become this slave to our feelings and that's what we're anxious about sometimes in relationships is like what if you wake up tomorrow and you feel totally differently about me and we become a slave to our feelings and so it's like oh I'm in this and it's fine as long as I feel it and then if my feelings change tomorrow like whatever I'll go see you I'm out like doesn't matter and so we become like we actually think we're free to our feelings but we become a slave to them and the opposite would be that in a covenant good in a in a covenant context of marriage, you would say, I'm in this even if my feelings change because my vows have kept me. And so, anyway, I thought that was a really helpful. And she, he, like, is totally obsessed with her in this movie. And you can see it. And then it's, like, 500 days of summer, and then he totally crashes when they end. Um, <clears throat> thought about this idea of, like, self-marketing. I bet you guys get this. You have even targeted Instagram ads to you, right? Like about self-marketing. Um, that we constantly have to market ourselves to be enough. And like the beauty industry is like making money off of this. Like this is their thing. Um, products, beauty, we buy into the lie that we have to be a certain way to be desired and to be wanted. And so all advertising agencies use sex to sell anything. They'll sell cars, beer, clothes, technology, all marketed with the message that to buy the product is to get access to sex. So when you think about this, it's like, oh, if I buy this product, then I'll be beautiful and then I'll be enough. And we have this worshiping and this idolatry of bodies that we think that we're kind of put on the market. Like, I have to be enough to be wanted. Um, and I like this because this is like, y'all probably have seen the Dev campaign stuff of like how different it is, like on the right. That's like before, and then they do all this photo editing, and that's what she looks like. But that's what we're we're getting this like marketed view of is like this idea of beauty on the left, and that's what's like unattainable. But there's so much like airbrushed and polished and marketed, so that it's so different than an actual human. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see. Um, and those are like we're talking about some extreme examples, but I think we can all relate to this idea that our desires under sin which is supposed to be good, is twisted now. Like we even saw that in Genesis, right? Like your desire will be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. This relationship that was supposed to be so good and healthy is now going to be twisted. Um, we make other humans into idols, and we forget that God's the one that satisfies our desires. And so we, we do this all the time. Like we put 
like maybe you're dating somebody and you're like, if they break up with me, my life will be over. Like the 500 days of summer, his life was over when summer broke up with him. You've put that person in a place that only God can be. And so our desires have now become twisted because before our desires for other people was supposed to point us to our desire to God. And now instead we stop at that person and they're the idol. Um, we make sex an ultimate thing. We buy into this lie that I can't be a whole and happy human if I don't have sex. What does that do to single people? Me being one of them. <laughs> I think about that. It's like, well, we've said that this is like this ultimate thing that you have to have. I have to have a relationship to be enough. I have to have, like, get married to be enough. I have to have sex to be enough. And that's a lie. Like, that's putting that above who God is. And when we talk about sexuality, what does this mean for our desire? Is it wrong to have desire and longings? I hope that you would say no after hearing yesterday. Like, Desire itself is not a sin. God created desire, and it is good, and it was before the fall. But God is the purpose of our desire, and sometimes our desires get twisted, and we put other things in place of him. Um, and it doesn't mean that we forget about our desire. It doesn't mean that our desire doesn't matter. But rather that we should take our bodies and sex seriously enough to understand them as part of the work of God. And we should take it seriously enough to say that, like, my desire for this person should point me to God and not stop with my desire for this person, if that makes sense. Um, Pornography and masturbation. So I think it's interesting that in the word pornea, we hear the root word, like the word porn. Um, Porn takes God's good gift of sex and it twists it away from reality. Y'all, I am like so sad that you live in a world that's so accessible to porn <laughs> and to those images. Like, I I mean, I just didn't, I didn't grow up in that world, and I'm not that much older, I don't think, but I know too, like, y'all have just grown up with technology right at your fingertips, and so these images are just clicks away, and it takes real good bodies, and it replaces them with fake, airbrushed, plastic bodies, and it trains us to desire this falseness. Like, that's what porn does. And it takes, it takes a whole person out of the relationship. Now there's no relationship. And it's just whatever video that you want to satisfy your desires. It takes sex that's meant in the context of a covenant relationship out of a relationship, and it, it literally puts it on the market. Um, it's sex that is bought and sold, and it's sex without, with yourself outside of a relationship. And masturbation and pornography typically go together. And I, like I said yesterday, like often when we talk about pornography, we talk about it as a male issue, but it's just not. Like it is a female and a male issue. And so I really do want to say, like, if that's something you're struggling with, get help. Talk to somebody. Come out of hiding and talk to someone because I think that that is where healing comes. And it, it is. It is like a place that's putting sex right on the market. It's just so clear. Um, I grabbed this quote from the book Real Sex. Er, I think it, yeah, I meant to say this yesterday. Just a caveat or talking about something super heavy. Um, I, these are the two books I use, Faithful and Real Sex. And I, I would highly recommend them if you'd like to read them. A lot of what I took is from them. And so, anyway, this is a book from Faithful, A Theology of Sex, but a quote from that. So this is pornography is a symptom of a diseased relationship in a world that privileges polished images over human truths, a world in which human bodies are offered up on the altar of consumer capitalism. Pornography itself is not the problem, it's a symptom of the problem. 
It's a symptom of a diseased relationship, and it's the heart of our problems, right, that we have diseased hearts. And so they lead us to these places. Um, I think I'm doing okay on time. I know I'm, like, giving you a lot of content. We'll have some time for questions at the end if you want to think of this. Sexual violence, this is any sort of sexual behavior that happens without a person's consent. It's exactly, it's a consumer good. It's for me and not for the sake of that person. This would include any sort of, I put this up here, like any sort of sexual abuse, harassment, rape, any, anything that you didn't give your consent for. And we see this all over in the news and in media, and it's heartbreaking. And I, again, want to say if any of these things, like, this is part of my story, and if there's any parts of this that, like, you can relate to, I want you to talk to somebody and get help and talk through that, like, because that's the only place where healing will happen. But it is. That is so terrible that it's on the market, and it's not for that person. Pornea is visible bodily behavior that's produced by hearts that are captive to sin. And it's heartbreaking, and I'm also crying, which I said, but it is heartbreaking. And Jesus talks about this when he talks to the Pharisees. It's not just the outside of their cup, right? It's the inside. Like, these are all products of hearts that are diseased to sin. And so we feel the weight of that. Um, he teaches that the inside and the outside of us are integrally linked. I'm not going to use that word again. Um, it is not that we do this bad behavior, but that we have sinful hearts that are captive to sin. And so we're diseased. We have a disease. And, but the Bible teaches us that sex is not a consumer good, but that it's a covenant good. And yesterday we talked about Adam and Eve being in a covenant of marriage. And it's in this covenant, it's the promise that keeps you. And it's God's original design. If you think about like a fish in water, like those are boundaries that are good for that fish to live in, right? And if it's put out on land, like, yeah, it's free to be out on land, but it can't breathe. Like it causes chaos, right? Um, or they see even like they're, I can't remember exactly, but there are beavers like they, that uh, if they don't have a dam to work on, then it just gets kind of chaotic and they just put stuff everywhere. But if they do, they have these boundaries and that, those boundaries are good. Like they create flourishing for us. And so when we, we've gone out of God's good original creation, intention for creation, and it has caused chaos. And like that's what we see. Um, yes. So. Um, so when you use sex inside of a covenant, it becomes a vehicle for engaging the whole person in this act of self-giving and commitment. And it's supposed to be a sign what you've done with your whole life. Your physical vulnerability matches your whole life vulnerability. And instead, we've gone from that, from the garden, and we've t created all of this chaos. And if it feels heavy to me. I know I've been, like, prepping and thinking about it, and it feels heavy to me. But I think as we think about it, like, it should, it should really make us think that this is, this is evil. Like, taking, taking it out of this good intention and putting it out in the market. But I, I really did think about ending it here because I think it's sometimes good to sit in it, but I can't completely do that. Um, we have left the garden behind, but our God has not left us behind. 
uh, even under the condition under, of sin, even under the reality of that everything broke, God is with us and he's for us. And it's significant that the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and his wife and he clothed them. So after God gives them the good consequences of their sin, he makes clothing for them. They're hiding behind these fig leaves, which <laughs> if I was wearing fig leaves, that would feel vulnerable to me. And so they're hiding behind them and he, he makes them a good and better clothing. And it's out of animal skin, which, what does that mean that happened to that animal? The animal died. That's the first death. That's the first death in the beginning of the fall, right? And it's for them. And it's a picture of what our Savior is coming to do, that he will die and that he'll be naked and unashamed on the cross so that he can cover our nakedness and our shame. Um, and so we, as we think about these topics... I really do want to stress, like, we can't get sex right in order to get our relationship with God right. We just can't. And so if there are parts of you that are thinking, like, I do that. I can totally relate to that idolatry. Or I've been watching pornography and I've never, like, told anybody. And Or if there's any parts of, like, what we've talked about in this fall, or even things that we didn't talk about but came to your mind, like, you cannot just fix that behavior so that your relationship with God can be right. But he fixes your relationship And the good news is that he doesn't leave you there. He forgives us right where we are, and he doesn't leave us. He changes us. And so, anyway, tomorrow, I don't want to give away too much, but tomorrow we're going to kind of talk about that. What is is the good news of redemption in our sexuality, and what does that look like? So, yes, I think I finished a little bit early, but do you guys have any questions, or what questions do you have? Anything? Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a great question. So, so Lauren, one of my girls. Hey, Lauren. Um, She asked, like I said, the desire itself is not a sin. Like, desire is something that God created, and it's supposed to point us to God. And but, how could desire for someone else, if it's good? Yeah, well, it's just like, like when I hear the word desire, like in a sexual way, yeah. Yeah. So then that seems like unfamiliar for someone to Yeah, yeah. You're like, uh, some of it is that, that feeling, that underlying feeling of like, I've got to kill my desires. I'm not supposed to. And if I hear desire in any sort of sexual content, then it seems bad already. And so you're saying, like, how can it be good? And how can it point us towards God? It's a very good question. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll answer this question real quick, then I'll get your question. Or were you going to respond? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm being awkward. Okay. Um, <laughs> so. I, that was a really good question. I think when we think about yesterday, we talked about God making us. He's a triune God, right? And so he's in this perfect relationship. And each of those relationships point to each other. And out of that perfect relationship, he made us for relationship. And so we talked about like that it's not good for man to be alone, that they're supposed to have each other. And that mutual delight is supposed to point them to their relationship to God, I think. And so kind of thinking about yesterday when... 
he said, like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and he's singing this love song over Eve, and God is right there. And it's this idea of, like, I'm delighting in the one that you made for me, mm-hmm. and it's pointing me to your goodness. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so even, even when we, like, outside of a sexual r- relationship, even when we, like, connect in relationships, like, God made us out of relationship for a relationship, and those relationships are meant to point us to his goodness and who he is. Does that make sense? Does that help a little bit? Yeah. It's a big concept, and we yeah. definitely have it in our brains that desire is bad. Like, we just think of it naturally that it's bad. But God created it, and so it has to be good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Part of that is the, you know, the Trinity, the living for one another, living mm-hmm. for one another. God made us incomplete ourselves in a way. Yeah. And but, but when we have that desire for a relationship with another person, whether it's sexual or not, that desire for completeness with another is a picture yeah. of God's mm-hmm. Trinitarian mm-hmm. giving, taking. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's part of that mirroring his image. Yes, exactly. And who he is. So in himself, he is this perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it's part of mirroring that image. Yes. Thank you. Did you have a question? In a premarital relationship, how do we glorify God? That is a great question. Anyone? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I haven't really touched on a premarital relationship. But you're saying, like, if I'm dating someone, what does it look like to glorify God? Whoa. Um, I have lots and lots of thoughts on dating, and I could unpack those for you. But I think, one, some of that anxiety we feel, I didn't touch, I did touch on that quote from 500 Days of Summer that I was talking about, like, hey, I'm just so anxious that you might, like, wake up tomorrow and you'll feel differently about me that's the anxiety we feel we're made for that covenant relationship we want that that commitment but in dating we just don't have it and so um the best definition i've heard of dating is two friends who like each other who don't know if they're going to get married or not and so it's just that idea that like hey i want to honor your body like it's your body's not mine your time is not mine your commitment all those covenant benefits i don't get those benefits because we're dating and so we're not in a covenant. And so some of it is, is saying, like, even though my heart is longing for that deep security, we're not there yet. And so I'm going to kind of live in the definition of this relationship, which is saying, like, we're friends who like each other, but we don't know if we're going to get married or not. And so I'm going to live in that context. And so I'm not going to, your body's not mine, and I'm going to honor your body, which means I'm not going to do covenant things in a non-covenant relationship, if that makes sense. And same for time, like, your time is not mine. Like, but if if you're married, like, your time is each other's. You know, like, those sort of things that happen in marriage, we want to put them on dating, but it actually, like, suffocates that relationship. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, 
Yeah, so you're saying is some of our desire for that part of those twisted desires like, that we put it on yeah, a relationship like it, when it can't handble it? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm putting those things on a like relationship, but it can't handle that definition? Like Yeah, yeah, that we want those benefits, and we feel like we can. We feel like we're yeah. owed those benefits, even though we're not, because they're not for that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly it, because even with, like, those, like, that no strings attached, you want some of those covenant benefits without the covenant. Like, you want some of those benefits, and so we do have this twisted, like, definition of, like, yeah, I can, I can own this person. I can own their body and their time, and it can be mine. And that's, yeah, some of the lie from the culture because it can't without that, those vows to back it up. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. And you might be okay, but if you hit a hill, Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just can't bear the weight of that. Yeah. Any other questions? We have like two more minutes. Girls, I cannot stress enough that a lot of this should be worked out in conversations <laughs> and in talking with other people. Like, I just don't think this, I hope this is, like, my whole goal for this is to put the conversation on the table. And so I hope, I mean, you're welcome to talk to me. You're welcome to talk to your youth leader, your friends. But I hope you'll start working these things out because I think they matter. And it's important to figure that out and to figure out what you think about sexuality and what you think the Bible says about it. And so I hope you'll keep having these conversations past this 45 minute spot. Okay, any other questions? Well, thank you guys so much for coming back. I appreciate it. See you tomorrow.